If the world's a stage, just remember you're playing to one, as we'll see next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. To be or not to be, God would say, yes, you are. Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Pastor Phil Howard has us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We welcome you to our broadcast and invite you to join us in our series, Once Corinthians, Now Californians. We're focusing our thoughts and attention today on the audience that we live for. And really, it is an audience of one, God himself. Join us for some encouragement along this fashion. With this edition of Truth For Today, here's Pastor Phil Howard. So then, he's carrying on an argument. He's refuting his critics who are elevating different party spirit. And I think they're doing it to spite Paul. They don't like Paul, so they've elevated Apollos. Who's Apollos? Might be a great preacher, but he was no apostle. He had not seen the risen Christ. But they're getting at Paul. And so he's dealing with critics. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, we only listed verses 1 through 5, but really 6 and 7 make an immediate application. Look at the application. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. And I take that to be Scripture. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Um, Critics taking on Paul. Uh, He, uh, what were some of their criticisms? Well, if we went back to chapter one and followed, first of all, he wasn't up to date on philosophy. They said that... uh, in chapter 117, he just wasn't up uh, on the logic of the day. He was so preoccupied with the cross, uh, he just was not sophisticated. He was not, appeal- he was not culturally relevant. And so uh, they, they take him on for that. By his own admission, when he showed up with them, he showed up with fear and trembling and weakness. And they saw that weakness. And if anything would put off a Greek audience, it would be anybody showing any vulnerability, any human foibles. Because we're, you know, we're Hercules. We're uh, the man of the Olympics. Uh, 
Weakness will not get you an audience, Paul. We're not impressed. We saw that weakness. Uh, Of course, they didn't say anything. What kind of power was unleashed to save such pagan people? But now they're taking the servant apart. And this is the worst criticism. You can't imagine. Think of this. Can you imagine leading a guy to the Lord that within three years is critical of your approach to him? The only thing that could be as bad is kids saying, you weren't the kind of parents I really deserve. And then you want to say, well, I'm going to go under the law and call the elders to stone you. And they will immediately say, but I'm under grace. And you say, you better be because I want to kill you. You Maybe you've never had a child despise you and say, I'd be much better had I had a better mother. Well, this is what Paul's kind of living through. They said his preaching seemed like milk for infants. And of course, they view themselves as wise and super mature. Why did you insult us with such elementary truths as the cross? Um, And then I think they must have been bugged that he claimed to be a master builder. And they would say to him, "Uh, you don't even have your credentials. You don't know what you're doing. Chapter 4, he's summarizing the argument against his critics and before he starts dealing with some other problems. And in chapter 4, I think you would see it in three areas. First of all, uh, his critics, and I'm going to take that one through seven. Then his credentials, what a real servant of God looks like as an apostle in 8 through uh, 13. And then his children, three C's, his critics, his credentials, his children. I might be the world's worst preacher, according to you, but God let me beget you in the gospel. You came to Christ through me. This ragtag critical man that you've uh, become of me. And so it it opens up a can of worms in the human dilemma. And I'm going to look at three things that he says about himself in verses 1 through 5. First of all, his identity, how he views himself. And he says it over and over. He keeps saying, I'm a servant, I'm a steward, and we'll look at that. Second thing is uh, his responsibility or the requirement. His requirement is not to be liked, but to be faithful, to be reliable, to be counted upon. And the issue is reliable to who? The Corinthians? Or to the Christ that commissioned him. And third thing, what tribunal he answers before. Three tribunals he mentions. Three evaluations. I'm being evaluated by you. I evaluate myself. But the one that counts is the Lord Jesus. And we want to look at that and apply it uh, to our own lives. Uh, it's, um, I have to say that this is really, he's speaking of his apostolic ministry. He's defending that. But he includes Apollos. And I'll take it by way of application. Any who serve God, any who minister to God, we're not apostles. But we who would be ministers of God by application, I want to apply this to our own hearts. And, uh, uh, First of all, he deals with his identity. 
And look at his identity, how he describes himself. Uh, he says, I am a servant. And it's the, the root of this word is under rowers, someone that rowed for ships. The etymology of the word is taken from those who rowed and moved these ships through the ocean. And can you imagine? I see myself as an under rower under Christ. The word came to be used of one who willingly follows directions. It was used to free men, not slaves. Quite interesting. I am a man who recognizes I'm under divine directions and I follow them. I don't see myself as the captain of the ship. I don't see myself as the owner of the company. I'm under the owner. I'm under the captain. And I do whatever he says. That's how I view myself. I'm under one master. And I refuse to elevate my critics to be the master of my ministry. Um, Criticism is one of the hardest things to ever live with. Uh, See, people who own the company, I'll talk to different people and say, if they don't like it, they can pack it and get out of here. And a lot of times they own the company, they cut the checks, and they control people with money and power. The last I saw, the church is a voluntary fellowship. I don't make anybody come to this church. I'm blessed when Carolyn comes with me. I can't make anybody give. And when I'm ready to retire, though I started with a dance hall, I don't get to sell the company, the building, and all of you give me the net worth of this building because, you know, I pioneered this church. I was here before any of you. Sound arrogant? I'm just telling you the history, telling you what posture I'm trying to work out my retirement. Sell the building. Give it to me. I'm the CEO of this company. No, not true. Someday, all of us guys and staff that retire will simply say, we're retiring. God bless you. The next guy picks up. We walk out with any guarantees, without any assets, without any, I own 50 shares of Valley Bible. I, I now have access to its income from now. I start all over the day I retire here. And you, in one year or two years, they won't even know who was the guy that used to be here. I'll be history. I had a guy tell me that one time. There was a deacon. He said, Pastor, don't be too in love with your image. I can't remember the guy that pastored before our present pastor. I said, thanks. I needed that. Boom. (laughs) Don't get in love with yourself. Paul said, I see myself as rowing, as one under divine instructions. Then he goes on to say, I see myself as a steward. And a household steward was usually a slave. You can look at it in Luke 16 and other places for usage. And he was a man that the owner of the house entrusted him to manage the rest of the slaves. Sometimes he would be just over the kitchen. Sometimes he'd be over a particular segment of the house. He may be over the whole house, but he didn't own the house. He was not the owner. He dispensed. Whatever goods the owner gave him, he could hand out the paychecks. He could dispense the food. In other words, Paul is using the language he said back in chapter 3, I'm a diagonia. I'm just a minister who waits on tables. A flunky's job. 
The word literally meant to stir up dust. I'm just a, a dust stirrer upper. I, I just, uh, you know, do the dishes and clean the table. You, you, can't, you can't talk in lower language and be an apostle. This is the highest office in the church. And this is the way he identifies himself. I'm just working for the boss. I don't own the house. I don't invent my message. I'm a steward over mysteries. And all that means is divine truths that God is now revealing. And God put a lot of them right through this apostle. He said, I just dispense truth. I don't invent the truth. I don't make it up. I'm not the truth. I dispense it to the household of faith. So I'm a truth dispenser. And I'm a subordinate who takes instructions. What about you? Who tells you what to do? Who's in charge of your life? You don't realize the challenges of being a minister to a congregation. This could be a little self-serving, but I just want to acclimate you to what Paul was dealing with. He founds this church by preaching Christ, and now we've got factions growing up. We've got men starting a party spirit, and here it's like they've forgotten everything Paul had ever done for them. Uh, Give you an example of modern-day people trying to pastor or minister in churches. I have this in my file. It's called Minister Wanted. Let me read this to you. Minister for Growing Church, a real challenge for the right man. Opportunity to become better acquainted with people. Applicant must offer experience as a shop worker, office manager, educator, all levels including college, artist, salesman, diplomat, writer, theologian, politician, boy scout leader, children's worker, minor league uh, athlete, psychologist, vocational counselor, psychiatrist, funeral director, wedding consultant, master of ceremony, circus clown, missionary, social worker, helpful but not essential, experience as a butcher, baker, cowboy, Western Union messenger. Must know all about problems of birth, marriage, and death. Also conversant with latest theories and practices like pediatrics, economics, and nuclear science. Right man will hold firm views on every topic, but is careful not to upset people who disagree. Must be forthright but flexible. Returns criticism and backbiting with Christian love and forgiveness. Should have an outgoing, friendly disposition at all times. Should be a captivating speaker and an intent listener. Will pretend he enjoys hearing women talk. (laughs) Guy has a little bias here. Education must be beyond Ph.D. requirements, but always concealed in homespun modesty and folksy talk. Able to uh, sound learned at times, but most of the times he talks like a good old boy. Familiar with the literature read by average congregation. And well, I'll leave that alone. Keep on. But must be willing to work long hours, subject to call any time, day or night. Adaptable to sudden interruption. Will spend at least 25 hours preparing sermon, additional 10 hours reading books and magazines. Applicant's wife must be both stunning and plain. (laughs) 
smartly attired but a conservative in appearance, gracious and able to get along with everyone, even women. I thought this guy's really, the day he gets shot, but I don't even know who wrote it. Must be willing to work in church kitchen, teach Sunday school. This is the wife. Babysit, run motolith machine. That tells you, date it. Wait table, never listen to gossip, never become discouraged. Applicants, children must be exemplary in conduct and character. Well behaved, yet basically no different from other children. <laughs> Decently dressed, even though the pastor's underpaid. Opportunity for applicant to live close to work. Furnished home provided, parsonage. Open door hospitality enforced. Must be ever mindful the house does not belong to him. And that's what happened when you lived in a parsonage. Directly responsible for views and conduct to all church members and visitors. Not confined to direction or support from any one person. Salary not commensurate with experience or need. No overtime pay. All replies kept confidential. Anyone applying will undergo full investigation to determine sanity. Uh, the, I went to a uh, Mennonite seminary that's part of Pacific University in Fresno, and Raymond Bystrom, they had a bunch of the alumni uh, write this book on pastoral challenges. And one of the uh, interesting things that Raymond writes, he talked about the emotional challenges of pastoring, and he talked about the multiple roles that pastors are expected to wear. Get this, pastors wear many hats, Once upon a time, a typical pastor had five roles to play. Teacher, preacher, worship leader, caregiver, and administrator. Five roles. And he's judged on every one of those. More recently, pastoral work has expanded to 14 roles. Each role includes a cluster of competencies or skills. For example, the role of preacher requires communication skills, exegetical skills, theological reflection skills, composition skills, homiletical skills, cultural awareness skills, to mention but a few. It winds up being about 70 skills that the average pastor is expected to have. Who are we kidding? So how could you ever get a passing grade with the critics. He doesn't know how to counsel. Okay. He's not a good administrator. Right. He's not. Huh. Huh. And pretty soon, pastors, uh, pastoring is a people vocation. And that's hard on the guys that think, I'm going to just teach the word and they'll learn to like me. No, they will throw you up. Get a job at a seminary where you don't have to relate. Just hand out grades. You pastor people, you're always being judged and evaluated. You're going to judge the sermon today. I'm judged at 52 weeks out of the year. Now, you're not being judged right now. You'll say, well, he's talking to me, but I don't know it. You're just guilty. I don't know it. <laughs> so you all look good. You actually look semi-spiritual. I mean, just looking straight ahead and say, is he on it? 
Boy, he, he, he was in what went on it today. He didn't study. He didn't pray. Wait, wait, wait. Don't be judging me. I'm not judging you. Who are we kidding? That's why people don't want to get up here and look like an idiot. Because no matter what you cut it, Ted Montoya said one time, I'm not, I'm not going to be subject to get, them be, being criticized. I said, well, goodbye. You won't be preaching anymore. You can't escape it. Because right now you're evaluating everything I'm saying. Because here the, let me tell you, the sins of pastors, some of the big ones. Oh, you're thinking of adultery and running off with money. Oh, those, are, those happen later. The big sin is the idolatry of being a people pleaser. Because we're in a people helping vocation. Help people. Counselors are subject to this. Help people. Be all things to all men. Be, be good to this person. Nobody, including God, has gotten along with them. And you're supposed to get them happy. Have you ever tried to get along with somebody that God can't please? Try it. Ask Moses about it. And say, you, you try to do this, and pretty soon you become a slave to the people, please, because it's your idol. You want to be liked. It, it, it's what goes with pastoring. Until you become obnoxious or God gives you. One guy told me, he said, to be a good pastor, you need the heart of a mother and the height of a rhinoceros. You're going to be criticized, but you want to remain tender. Paul is dealing with critics, and he's saying, I know who told me to do what I did at Corinth. I've followed his will. I gave you the message of the cross. God saved you. Oh, I was weak. Oh, I'm not great. I've never promoted myself. But you were saved as a result of me obeying Christ. And I just want you to know the way I view myself is I'm taking orders from the captain of the church and I'm going to dispense whatever he gives me and that's what he's going to hold me accountable for. Not whether everybody likes me. Do you think that's true? Can you breathe heavy? Just breathe heavy. (laughs) You don't amen. Say it's the truth. It's the truth. I cannot tell you how many pastors are emasculated of any authority. Because they become idolaters to pleasing the board and all the critics. And they lose all their conviction and all their spunk and all the authority because they're pleasing people that can't be pleased. Let me tell you, hear me now. I don't know how long I'm here, but I didn't come here to please you. I'm not being arrogant, but I'm going to be evaluated by the one who commissioned me. And he told me to preach the word, and he told me to come to Pinot, and I've obeyed him. And when I stand before him, he's going to judge me for whether I followed his orders. That's what he's going to judge me for. Not whether you like me. Not whether you stay, whether you go. Many have gone, many have come. And thank God, keep coming. We love you, and I'm not mad, and I don't have indigestion. I'm just telling you that he says, you've got to not be a people pleaser, and it's an occupational hazard. Because who wants to have someone pastor them? They can't stand them. So... You're always dealing with this tension. But he sees himself as under Christ, 
following his authority, dispensing his truth. Then he says the responsibility that Christ holds him to and all who serve in his name is you must be found faithful, trustworthy. The requirement is faithfulness. You would think it would be a, you must hold a PhD degree. Uh, he must be good looking. He must be this. He must, no, no, no. If Christ wants to entrust you with something, seminary that Rich and I went to in San Francisco, the school motto was 1 Thessalonians 2.4, put in trust with the gospel. Uh, Paul says, I thank God that he put me in trust with the gospel. You've been listening to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to review today's program or obtain a copy on CD for a friend or loved one, please call us and mention today's date. We would ask for $5 to cover the cost of materials and shipping. Call us at 510-799-3171. That's 510-799-3171. You can also visit our online store, valleybible.org. A lot of information there about who we are and what we believe. Again, the store is there as well. You can take advantage of other resource materials. That's valleybible.org. Or, again, call 510-799-3171. Visa and MasterCard are welcome. Take advantage of that as you call or stop by our website. And if you would like to link arms with us financially, knowing this broadcast continues here on this station, in part through your financial partnership with us, please prayerfully consider that as you contact us. Again, at 510-799-3171. That's 510 510- 799-3171. And then we look forward to seeing you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. <laughs>